Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25, half the length of Isaiah 24, ten times the pleasure. Because it's filled with salvation rather than judgment. Chapter 24 left us pointed in the right direction, upward in joy. We read there in that last verse of chapter 24, Then the moon shall be confounded, and the sun ashamed, when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and before his ancients gloriously. Even the heavenly bodies, if we took it literally, will be put in the shade by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we take it symbolically, of the greatest rulers that Judah may have ever had, it still is the same. They're confounded and ashamed in comparison to Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 25. God's fabulous deliverance of the Jews from Babylon would reach farther and higher all the way to Messiah. These 12 verses are in three parts. The celebration for deliverance from Babylon, pretty obvious, verses 1 through 5. Celebration for gospel blessings of Messiah in verses 6 through 8. Celebration for destruction of all enemies under the figure of Moab in verses 9 through 12. Celebration. And then chapter 26 will be singing and celebration and one of those very few occurrences in the Bible where the Lord Jehovah's name is given to us in that fourth verse of chapter 26. But it will start out with a song because it is going to be taking up from this description of the grounds for celebration, the reason or cause of it. I've explained enough for you to understand that the context is sufficient for us to know that this is Judah, the Jews of Judah and Jerusalem, taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, put in prison, visited after many days, and then the kingdom of Jesus Christ would burst into fulfillment. We got that from chapter 24. So let's go right into the verses of 25, then let's sing some songs, and then let's have a literal feast, remembering a spiritual feast of fat things. 1 Corinthians 5 does call the Lord's Supper a feast. The first five verses, celebration for deliverance from Babylon. O Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee, I will praise Thy name, for Thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For Thou hast made of a city and heap, of a defensed city, a ruin, a palace of strangers, to be no city. It shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The city of the terrible nations shall fear thee. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place. Even the heat with the shadow of a cloud. 
the branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. Amen and amen. amen. This is the destruction of Babylon, which took place after they were taken into captivity, and which took place before Cyrus delivered them, and then John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, and the apostles brought the New Testament kingdom into place. That first verse, O Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee, I will praise Thy name, and that it should be our spirit all the time. He has delivered us from so many things. He has promised us so many future blessings. He is with us in such powerful ways. We should be praising Him like this. When I look back at Isaiah and what they had and how little it was compared to what we have, yet they're celebrating, we should certainly celebrate. Amen. Let us not make light of it. Right. Let's make the most of it. And let's resent any such words or action. If we put Jesus second in our lives, is that making light of him? Yep. It has to be. Because he should be first by a long distance. Right. His kingdom should be first. It should drive you. It should consume you. Jesus Christ and His kingdom and His gospel and the promises of it and His people that He has saved and the Word of God that declares it so clearly to us, all of those things and many more should be the most important thing in our lives. And if so, then we will be shouting praise like this verse describes. For thou hast done wonderful things, wonderful things. Is it wonderful for an impregnable city to be overthrown in one night? Amen. Is that pretty wonderful? Amen. That is wonderful. Does he do his, are his counsels of old faithfulness and truth? Amen. Did he say that's how he would do it in advance? Did he name the man that would do it in advance? Did he say it would only last 70 years? Could Daniel count on it that when he found 70 years mentioned in the book of Jeremiah that he could go to the Lord in prayer knowing, ah, it's time. There has to be a deliverer because of the 70 years, because he's faithful and he's true. And his counsels include that. They're always faithful and truth. And that is true of everything that occurred with Cyrus and Darius in taking the city of Babylon. Verse 2, Thou hast made of a city, that great city Babylon, and heap. And I showed you pictures of it. It's in Hilla, Iraq, 60 miles south of Baghdad. It is a heap. Of a defensed city, a ruin. A palace of strangers, to be no city. It shall never be built. And it hasn't been built. And it is still there for us today. You say, what about that verse, though, back in chapter 24? Was that city rebuilt? Then that, those words are to be understood in a different sense. Was circumcision, I want to ask you this. Was circumcision an ordinance and a covenant with God forever? Absolutely yes. That's what the Old Testament says. If you go to Genesis chapter 17 where circumcision was instituted, it was a covenant forever. How long did the Lord mean? About 1,500 years until the Apostle Paul met Titus and said, I'm not going to circumcise you, buddy. Let's go preach. That's, in, that's found in Galatians chapter 2. But it was called an everlasting covenant. Just, I just want you to think through these words and how they're used and what context helps us understand the words correctly. Babylon's in verse 2. 
It's turned into a heap, a ruin. It's no city. It's never going to be built. Verse 3, Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The city of the terrible nations shall fear thee. And the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and the Assyrians were terrible nations, but men feared God because of what he did to Babylon. Turn, now we're going to get a lot of this in the book of Isaiah. When we get... Lord, you know how I mean this. When we get to the better part of Isaiah... Look at Isaiah 45. The Lord knows how I mean it. I love Isaiah 24. I love him showing us what it applied to and that it was rather simple once we set its context. Look at Isaiah 45. I'm going to read a few verses to fulfill verse 3 of Isaiah 25. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The world is going to be in awe that Babylon could be overthrown as easily as it was for the benefit of one little minuscule nation that was given leave to go home and rebuild their city and their temple with taxes from beyond the river. They're going to be shocked. Let's see if the Bible backs that up later in Isaiah. Verse 1 of Isaiah 45. This is written 150 years before he was born. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel." For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I am going to take Babylon down in such a way that from the rising of the sun, what direction of the compass is that? The east to the west, they're all going to know that I am the Lord. And I am Israel's God. That was 45, this kind of stuff. We're going to get to it real soon. I am racing toward it. Isaiah 49, because these are wonderful chapters of God boasting of himself And he has every right to do so. Isaiah 49 and verse 23. You know well, but I'm going to read a little bit longer, a little bit farther. Isaiah 49, 23. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, as Cyrus and Ahasuerus were. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers and their queens. Thank you, Esther. Thy nursing mothers, they shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? Or the lawful captive delivered? We're in a situation that there is no way out. But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children, and I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, 
and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Amen. Amen. Yes. Back to Isaiah 25. Back to Isaiah 25 and verse 3. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee, the great nations of the earth, the city of the terrible nations, their capitals, their kings, their rulers, are going to be dumbfounded by the overthrow of Babylon in one night, and a little group of people let go and sent back with the full authorization and writing of Cyrus the Great of the Persian Empire to rebuild a temple to the Lord that delivered them. Verse 4, For thou hast been a strength to the poor. You can understand these words. A strength to the needy in his distress. You took care of us when we were in Babylon, and you have delivered us from it. A refuge from the storm. A shadow from the heat. When the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. We had a wall up. You put the wall there. The terrible ones had it blew a storm at us, and the wall just stopped it. You know what it's like. You're in bed at night. You hear thunder crashing all around you. The rain's hitting your window so hard you wonder. I hope that 20 years of this house being here proves that it'll last us through this one as well. But it's all on the outside because you're on the inside and you're safe and sound. And so were they safe and sound. Verse 5, Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place. It won't amount to anything. Even the heat with the shadow of a cloud. The branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. Many things could be said about every one of those clauses. They have been put down for you. The branch, the best branch to think of is Belshazzar, the branch of the kingdom and the tree of the Babylonian Empire. That branch stood up that night and the Lord brought it down low that very night and took him out of the way and delivered his people. So we come to the second section, verses 6 through 8, celebration for gospel blessings of Messiah. Before we go there, God loves his deliverance of Judah from Sennacherib. Thus, so many chapters in Isaiah about it. And in Kings. And in Chronicles. Three times. God also loves his deliverance of his people from Babylon. And that is why we've covered it, and we'll cover it again. Because it's going to come up again, just like where I read to you from Isaiah 45. Isaiah 13 was all about Babylon. Isaiah 14 was about Babylon. Isaiah 21 was about Babylon. 45 is about Babylon. 44 is about Babylon. Because God loves it. And we ought to celebrate it. He thinks it's worth celebrating. He says all the great nations and the terrible nations and their capital cities and their rulers are going to be confounded by the way I overthrow Babylon in one night and release you people immediately and let you go back. And anyone that you know that anyone that did any research into the matter... Any CSI guys? Guess what they found out? That it was in writing in the Jews' religion 150 years in advance right. with Cyrus named. It's wonderful stuff. Let's be celebratory about our great God. Amen. Why did he do things the way he did? For the praise of his people. He could have delivered them all kinds of different ways. He could have stopped them halfway to Babylon and said, I think I've punished you enough, go home. But it was 70 years in Babylon and then a spectacular deliverance because he's just spectacular and he's dramatic. And I love those things about him. I want you to love them about him. But we're just getting started. That's rough. That's, that's easy. 
Here's a better one. Verses 6 through 8. Celebration for God's blessings of Messiah. And in this mountain. Oh yes. In this mountain. When we read it, we would mean Paris Mountain. Growing up, I would mean Peach Mountain. But who wrote this? Isaiah. What mountain is it to him? Mount Zion. Right. Jerusalem. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people. It's just not the people. It's all people. A feast of fat things. A feast of wines on the lees. Of fat things full of marrow. Of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. Amen. Now those are even better promises than taking the city of Babylon in one night. This is overthrowing the devil behind Babylon. This is overthrowing hell and death. This is declaring victory over death. This is declaring victory over tears, crying, weeping, and sorrow. This is, these are incredible blessings. And they start on Mount Zion. And that Mount Zion is just not the literal, physical, geographical, small mountain that the city of Jerusalem was partially built on. But it's the spiritual Mount Zion which is above because this reaches all the way to heaven and the fulfillment of our resurrection from the dead and death being taken away and destroyed and no more sorrow. It just builds, builds, builds. I mean, this is on a tremendous ascent to the great glory of our salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ that we get to celebrate at his table in just a few minutes. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts Make unto all people. That brings us in. It's called nations in verse 7. All nations. That brings us in. Praise the Lord. This extends way beyond Judah. It extends even to us. In this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things. Now remember, I don't introduce the services willy-nilly. I introduced the services with Matthew 22 so that you would see that God called the gospel kingdom of Jesus Christ initially introduced by John the Baptist, then taken up by the Son of God, and then fulfilled by the apostles as a marriage supper of a king for his son. That is not heaven. That is not the marriage supper of the Lamb of the one you think of in heaven. It is gospel delights on earth. And because the Jews... I'm trying to prove the point to you. Because the Jews didn't appreciate it properly, they were destroyed in 70 A.D. Right. So whatever supper was, is involved was before 70 A.D. Because he miserably destroyed those men and burned up their city because of what they had done. It's, it's the gospel. It's the feast of fat things. The Lord said, I've slain my oxen and my fatlings are killed. Right. And all the accoutrements of a great dinner have been fixed and no one's come. You know what happens in the next seven verses in Matthew 22, which I didn't share with you? 
go out into the highways and hedges and compel the scumbags to come in. Go out and find the scumbags, us Gentiles, and compel them to come in. And we came in. And Paul went and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. He was the apostle of the Gentiles. In Acts 13, his first recorded sermon in Antioch of Pisidia across the Mediterranean, he preached, and the the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city came to hear it because the Gentiles wanted to hear it. And Paul... They, they, they reviled Paul, those Jews did. And so the, Lord Jesus, the, the Apostle Paul said to his audience, I am through with the Jews, I am turning to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard this, they glorified the word of the Lord. And that is what this prophecy was being fulfilled as the Apostle Paul turned from the Jews to the Gentiles and the Gentiles glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Acts 13, 45 through 48. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture, and it fulfills this prophecy. It's a partial fulfillment of the prophecy. All we're doing at the moment is looking at verse 6 and working on the two words, all people, because it came to us, a feast of fat things. And I showed you this morning the the feast of fat things in Matthew chapter 22, which when there weren't enough Jews for it, I have a table prepared. Invite those Gentiles in. He took the vineyard away from them and gave it to the Gentiles. He gave the supper to the Gentiles. And he called it his fatlings. A fatling over there in Matthew 22 is a young animal, cow, of cattle, lamb, or others, that are young and are put up in a barn and not allowed to move around, so they put on weight. And they're called fatlings. In the Bible, it's called a stalled ox. An ox kept in his stall so it can't move, so it marbles the meat, or a fatted calf. There we go again, veal, tender veal, precious veal, with lots of marbling. The Lord wants you to know all that. It's, the, it's a great meal. Oxen is steak, prime rib. But here, what do we have here? A feast of fat things. So it's fatlings, it's fatted calves here, it's steak here. You say, how do you know that? How do you know it's steak? Read the rest of the verse, and it'll tell you. Fat things full of marrow. Oh, yes. This ain't no chicken breast. You have never found marrow in a chicken breast. You've never found much of anything in a chicken breast, but that's between you and and your culinary preferences. The Lord would not put a barn rat into verse 6 of Isaiah 25. Nobody be offended. Listen, my wife loves chicken. I have to, I'll, I'll have to explain this all the way home today. Chicken with cheese. Lots of cheese. That's what it takes. Isaiah 25 and verse 6. In this mountain, Mount Zion, the New Testament kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, what would happen after their recovery out of Babylon? Things were going to get better for those people. Remember, they were singing songs, glory to the righteous. They knew what was coming. And so they were singing about glory to the righteous from the aisles. Even looking at the fires, Isaiah said, sing about glory to the righteous because the righteous have something big coming. And the Lord himself will reign in Mount Zion before his ancients gloriously. And so a feast of fat things, that is the best steak that you can imagine, and it's got its bone in. When you go to a restaurant now and order 
a 16-ounce ribeye, it's going to cost you, in a good restaurant, it's going to cost you 35 And if you get bone in, it's going to cost you 45 because they've left the bone in for extra flavor from that marrow and the bone in the meat. I'm just throwing out some wild numbers. I mean, Rick Irwin's, I was guessing that it's somewhere around that. A feast of fat things full of marrow. Marrow is the richest, the richest matter that you can get out of a cow. As a boy, we were served roast beef many times, and we would use games of chance with my father to figure out whether he or Paul or I were going to get the marrow in the bone of roast beef. And it was just a little bit, but boy, to dip your spoon down into that, that is choice stuff. Now, I haven't had marrow in a long, long time. So I went online and looked at marrow, and this is really wasting time. But I found that chefs now, you can go buy just lots of these bones, about three, have them cut about three inches long, that are about this big around. And you know, half of it, the size of a quarter is marrow, and you stand them up and roast them. The pictures were phenomenal. I was, I was going to eat my monitor. The pictures were, you probably, oh yeah, it was, and then the creative ones had dipped it out and put it on special toast with onions and maybe a little, a few other things. Okay, why are you going into all that? Because when the Lord says marrow, do you even know what marrow is? When the Lord says marrow, you should be excited about it. Because he says, I'm going to make a feast to Gentiles and Americans are going to hear about a feast of fat things with marrow and of wine on the lees. The lees is the sediment that you want the wine to rest on. If you're in a hurry and you just let it ferment and then pour it off, it's not full-bodied. It doesn't have full flavor, and you've cheated yourself. Now, Oh, the Lord would never do that to you. The Lord leaves that wine sitting on the sediment or on the lees and then it's well refined. It's filtered out when they draw it off, but it is rich and full-bodied. Oh, sorry. Um, just thinking of a good glass and a steak and marrow at the same time. The Lord wanted you to picture that in your head. That's why he put it there. And you say, well, what does it mean to us? It is the gospel promises that God sent his son to be our savior and to deliver us from the things next described. The thing next described is darkness, and then the thing next described is darkness forever because it's the darkness of death. The Lord's delivered us from those things. Verse 7, He will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. There was a veil spread over all of us Gentiles so that we worship totem poles, stones, sticks, sun, moon, stars, goats, flies, dogs, cats, half cat, half man, all kinds of things. We worshiped. We worshiped mistletoe. We painted ourselves. We ran around naked. We didn't see anything. We didn't, underst- we didn't know how to worship the Creator. And, but God changed that. He will destroy in this mountain... That is Mount Zion, which is above the heavenly Jerusalem. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for Gentiles. In John chapter 10, he said, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ over his church of Jews and Gentiles. 
He'll destroy that covering. And the Lord lifted it. What is the feast of fat things? The feast of fat things is everything that you can think of that delights you in the gospel. And it delights the Lord in the gospel. It delighted the apostle Paul in the gospel. You can proceed from the son of David to being your king forever, to a savior of sinners, to the second Adam's obedience, and on and on and on. And I don't want to go there. I want to just tell you this. Here's a little summary that Paul gave us. Without controversy, there is no debating this matter. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Mm -hmm. Do you want to see the menu at the Feast of Fat Things? Here's the menu. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Do you like the menu? What can you say? That's what this is. What a prophecy. Is Isaiah 25 worth working through 24? Mm -hmm. Isaiah 25 is wonderful. He will destroy in this mountain, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. He'll take away that covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And then, what else will he do? He'll swallow up death in victory. Amen. Do you think this might have made the cut to be in 1 Corinthians 15? It did make the cut to be in 1 Corinthians 15. When Paul is unleashing himself with 58 verses of glory about the resurrection of the body, oh yes, he pulls this into 1 Corinthians. He will swallow up death in victory. Can you put just seven words together that are more powerful than that? He will swallow up. You know, your team is going to be eaten for breakfast by that team. You know the kind of language that we use? He shall swallow up death in victory. What a glorious statement. That is our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord reigning from Mount Zion. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. We have a mechanism and we have content in our hearts and in our minds that take away so many of our tears now from those that have no hope. Do you know what the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 4 about a funeral? We do not mourn like others which have no hope because we've been filled with hope. So in a certain respect, our tears are wiped away now. And the closer we are to the Lord, what could make you cry? Except tears of joy. And that's not mourning or sorrow. Those are tears of joy. But they will be all wiped away for sure in a day that comes even further. Death was swallowed up in victory at the cross when Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he rose from the dead three days and three nights later. Death was swallowed up in victory. And the Lord God has wiped away tears now and he'll wipe them away in the future. The rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. 
Christians have been despised and minimized and neglected and persecuted, put to death, martyred, as we hear every Sunday morning for 2,000 years. But the reproach of his people is going to be lifted. And do you know what they're going to be owned to be before the whole world? My brethren, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. He is not ashamed to call us brethren. We'll be given an inheritance as joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself would say this in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 about the Jews, that they worship in the synagogue of Satan, and I will bring them to bow before you and acknowledge that you are my elect and not them. Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9. Oh Lord, thank you for these things. How, how sure are such promises? How sure? Is verse 6 for real? Did it happen? Will it happen? Will it happen for me? Verse 7, will it happen for me? Did it happen for me? Verse 8, will he really do it? What's it all predicated on? For the Lord hath spoken it. That's as good as done. He is able to call those things which be not as though they were. He doesn't use verb tenses like you and I do. The, Lord, the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. In Isaiah chapter 9, when it describes it in verses 6 and 7, about the, the son and the child that's going to be given with names of wonderful and counselor, the mighty God, and so forth, it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Because he's given his word. Almighty God has given his word. That there is a feast, and it's been delivered. The table's been set. And we should embrace it, and eat it, and grab a fork and a knife, and go at it. How do we do that? We get into his word. We get into prayer. We get into singing. We get into talking to each other about it, and just delighting in it, and thanking the Lord. And he is able to lift our spirits, and restore unto us the joy of our salvation. We're going to sing a song in just a couple of minutes. And all I need is one line of one verse. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. That's all I need to be messed up. King of my life, I crown thee now. I read verse 6. He deserves to be crowned king in my life. I read verse 7. He deserves to be crowned king in my life. I read verse 8. He deserves to be crowned king in my life. He deserves all the glory. I deserve none of it. Brethren, everything in my flesh, everything in the world, and the devil does not want me to have glory in Jesus Christ. Right. You need to work at it. Sometimes it takes us mourning for our sins, getting rid of anything pleasant in our lives, like James 4, 8 through 10 describes, and mourning before him, and he'll lift you up. He will lift you up. He will lift you up. I'll share a little, just a little. Friday was a rough day. Spiritually tried, spiritually discouraged. All night, 
Friday night I prayed. In the morning, my wife told me, you prayed all night. Today's going to be a great... And yesterday was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I just want to... I didn't want to do anything except run around the house and say, King of my life, I crown thee now, bawling, running into furniture. Um, thine shall the glory be. Amen. I wish it was like Saturday every single day of my life, but I'm just sharing that with you because it's not like that every single day of my life. And never, 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 never do I blame God for any bit of that whatsoever, way, shape, or form. It's all my fault. And I let little things sometimes get under my craw and bother me. But then you just go back to His Word and you get in here and you look at these verses and you maybe find a song that the Lord has used to speak to you in the past and that one He has used with me in the past. And it just is wonderful. My dear brothers and sisters, I am here in this pulpit for one reason only. For you to love the Son of God more. We could, if we wanted to, slice and dice doctrine and lay it out in charts and tables and stuff. And we've done it. But I want you to love Jesus Christ more. I want you to look at verses 6, 7, and 8 and think that is truly a feast. Well, let's finish this thing up and sing. Verses 9 through 12. Celebration of destruction of all enemies. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. For in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest, and Moab shall be trodden down under Him, even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill. I love that word picture as well. And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them. This is the Lord Jesus Christ doing the breaststroke. As he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And he shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hands. And the fortress of the high fort of thy walls shall he bring down. As it turns to the second person, lay low and bring to the ground even to the dust. And that is victory over all the enemies of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is what the book of Revelation is written for. That is the end of the book of, of Daniel chapter 7. And here it is right here, the destruction of all the enemies of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Moab is used as a symbolic enemy for all the enemies. Other chapters that we're going to run into in the book of Isaiah will use Idumea or Edom as the example nation representing all the enemies of God. Jesus Christ will destroy all our enemies. And we will reign over the universe because of Him, by Him, and by His power. And this is a prophetic description of the salvation and joy and precious promises in verses 6 through 8 and in 9 through 12, the destruction of all our enemies. We will be vindicated in the great day of judgment when all those our enemies will be cast into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and we, our names will be read from the book of life, and we will be joint heirs with Jesus Christ of the universe. And it's summarized this way here in Isaiah. Just like the gospel is summarized, and the promises in Christ as a feast of fat things. This is victory. There, Moab 
Moab. Why Moab? There's also the Philistines. There's the Ammonites. There's, there's the Hittites. There's the Egyptians. There's the Assyrians. Why Moab? Up close and personal, always a nagging, perpetual, inveterate enemy of the nation of Israel would be taken away. When you hear the martyr stories on Sunday, don't they sound like verse 9? Lo, this is our God, that we have waited for Him. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Do any of them sound like they're losing? The way they sound is that their executors, are their executioners losing? Yes. It's your view. It's your view. This little thing dying? Somebody cutting my head off? I'm not asking for it this afternoon. I'm just saying it's so slight in comparison of eternity and all these positive things that are listed here. Amen. And he will overthrow them all. Right. How does the book of Revelation end in your Bible? What is the animal there? Is it a lamb? Or is it a horse? Is it a white horse? What color is dripping from it? Red. The blood of his enemies. And Jesus Christ has a sharp two-edged sword going out of his mouth. His name is called the Word of God. And he rides over his enemies and calls for all the fowls of heaven to come and devour them. And that is a word picture that Jesus Christ wins. And that's what Isaiah 25, 9 through 12 is saying. The coming Messiah wins and will destroy all our enemies and take the reproach off us. We are minimized, brutalized, mocked, and reviled in this world for being Christians and believing the Bible. That reproach will be lifted because we will be owned by the whole universe, including the angels, as the sons of God. And they will usher us into the inner circle with Almighty God our Father. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.